0: The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. Well, what are we going to talk about today? We have not recorded a podcast for a very long time, but we have not forgotten how to do it, have we? <laughs> no. <laughs> we still remember. Wow. Yes, because we have a good memory. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today? What about teaching? About learning photography, I think today we should talk about how to learn photography in an efficient manner, a manner that is not wasteful of your time, or your energy, or your money, or your resources, and a manner that also helps you make the necessary decision, the right decisions, I think. Because I see a lot of people buy a lot of equipment, spend a lot of time trying to find the information they need, and not really knowing exactly what it is that they need, you know, or exactly sometimes what their goal is. Don't you think?
1: Oh, I agree.
0: It's a challenging task. I mean, if you want to get better with your photography, and you want to reach the next step, which I think all of us do, how do you do it? Where do you start? And I I think that's something that I'd like to talk about today that can help a lot of people, figure out, you know, like I said, how to best use, you know, their time, their energy, their money, you know, all of their resources, basically. Where do you start?
1: Well, for me, you know, it's all about I know what I want to study or what I want to learn before I study with that person. I have um, some goals that I want to reach. But in particular, the reason why I'm studying with this person is because I like what they do. I think that's one of the most important th- reasons why I want to learn from this person.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. You, you have to start with the right, you know, let's say model or the right helper. Uh, you know, it makes no sense to go study landscape photography with somebody that does product photography. Um, it makes no sense to go study with a portrait photographer. You know, you might learn things, but you're not going to get to the core. You know, you might learn exposure. You might learn some use of light. But you're not going to get to the core, which is, you know, how do you approach the subject, right? The subject has to be number one, I think. But the person you study with has to be working on the same subject that you're interested in.
1: I agree. That's very important.
0: Because different subjects require different skills. I mean, somebody who works on portraits, for example, needs to develop people's skills. You know, he needs to find out how to make people look the way they want. Look the way he wants them to look. You know, how to help them work with him, how to collaborate, how to get them to do what he wants. If you work with landscapes, you don't need to do that with trees and rocks. It's not necessary. Is it good to have people's skill? Yes, it's nice, but it's not indispensable when you deal with the landscape. A lot of landscape photographers are relatively unknowledgeable when it comes to taking portraits. But they don't need the skill.
1: And I wouldn't expect them to be.
0: right. I mean, it's nice if you have it, but if you don't, it's a wash. It's not going
1: to make any difference. Also, for me, when I'm looking for a person to study with or thinking about, you know, attending a seminar or even a workshop at our local botanical gardens, I mean, they teach all sorts of things Japanese paper making, just all sorts of different things. I always look at also how knowledgeable the person is but also what's important to me is how enthusiastic they are about what they want to do or what they are doing you know and if that enthusiasm comes through because if they're excited about what they do it's going to get me excited about doing what i want to do and um, it's inspiring
0: and it's contagious It is contagious. Enthusiasm is contagious. And uh, I think that's a very good point. If somebody teaches something that they don't care about, that they're not enthusiastic about, then who cares? You know, because at that point, it goes back to learning, signing up for a class, which is a requirement. Uh, You know, and I think we've all done that at the university. And the name of the teacher, when you look at the listing for the class, is staff. (laughs) Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter with teachers that, that never
1: class. put me at ease. I was like, oh, no, yeah. I am in trouble now.
0: I know. You know that class has a very high potential of being extremely boring. Or, when a, the failure. Name, or a failure. Or <laughs> failure when the name of the teacher is staff, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and I have taught classes where I was listed as staff, but they were English 101 classes, so I have no regrets, you know.
1: Another important thing for me is to see a picture of the artist, That and that the artist is smiling. I can't tell you how many pictures I've seen of artists that are totally, they look very stern, very severe, and it doesn't make me want to take a workshop or a seminar with them. I don't want to study with somebody that's going to be grumpy.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, you know, grumpy doesn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you want that person to be excited about what they do. You know, happy. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're going to go study with somebody that really doesn't want to be there, then you probably don't want to be there either, you know. It's a very good point. You, you want somebody who is excited to teach that, who is excited that you're there to learn it, and who's going to make this, you know, exciting. And it goes back to enthusiasm. You know, we've had actually students, uh, one particular student who signed up for one of our workshops, I think two years ago, who told us that he had already been to the area where we taught the workshop. It was Navajo Land. But he had been there with an instructor whose name we will not mention, who basically stood there all the time that they were there, said nothing, and basically considered his job to drive them to the place, let them take photos, and then drive them back to the hotel. And never said anything, had no interest in the material, had no enthusiasm, did not photograph. And the participant told us that that's exactly not what he wanted. He wanted somebody who was excited about what they were doing, that was enthusiastic, who participated, who photographed, who got involved. You know?
1: Right. Otherwise,
0: you have a tour guide. And, and maybe not even a good tour guide, just a driver maybe, at worst.
1: Well, and I have questions when people phone. They'll ask, you know, well, I noticed that, you know, your workshop fee doesn't cover hotels and transportation and car rental and food and lodging. And so, you know, what does it cover? And I explain to them, it covers teaching, instruction, instruction, yeah. what it is you're going to learn on yeah. the workshop.
0: And we do a lot of that.
1: And I explain, you know, we're not your tour guide. I mean, we take you to the best locations at the best time possible to photograph the best light. I mean, I'm very thorough when it comes to designing a workshop itinerary. But you're coming because we teach photography on the foundation of art. That's right. We want you to create, our goal is for you to create fine art. We focus on quality, not quantity. We talk about art concepts. We talk about, hey, what is unique about you? What sets your work apart from all the other photographers that are out there?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because if nothing separates you from all the ones out there, then nobody can tell that it's your work. It's just another photo among the millions of photos that are available on the Internet or in galleries and anywhere in the world. Yeah.
1: And another thing, um, I always recommend when people sign up for the workshops that they read your first book, Mastering Landscape Photography, and, but your second book, mm-hmm. Mastering Photographic Composition, Creativity, and Personal Style. And there's chapters in there that I recommend that they read before the workshop. Chapter 7 talks about composition. Chapter 11, Developing a Personal Style. Chapter 15 is all the technical, it's a checklist, all the technical things they need to think about when they're in the field, and then the artistic checklist, Mm -hmm. everything you need to think about artistically. Mm -hmm. What is the color palette of that landscape that's right before me? You
0: know? Yeah, that's something that most people don't think about, but it's something fundamental to art. You know, When you think about painting, which is not very different from photography, the first thing that a painter does is decide on the color palette that they're going to use to create a particular painting. And the color palette are basically the colors that that painter is going to use to make that painting. They are not going to use, nobody, no painter uses all of the colors that are available to us. Every painter makes a decision as to which ones they are going to use. That is, they they basically say, okay, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that, I want this, this, and this.
1: Right. I use the word recommended readings and, you know, that I recommend that you purchase these books because if I was taking a workshop or a seminar and the instructor recommended Things for me to buy or to read, I definitely would do it because I would want to get the most that I possibly could out of that workshop and seminar. However, I have had some people actually get upset when I recommend these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't understand why, because if you want to study with us and you want to get the most that you could possibly get out of the workshop and seminar, it seems to me that you would want to do these things.
0: Yeah, I think there is a misconception out there on the part of some people that want to learn photography but that are not familiar with how you study you know, something which is an art form, not just a technique, but an art form. And, and the misconception is that they don't realize that they have to learn to find out who they are going to study with it's very very important if i'm going to study something which is a technique let's say how to maybe you know build a wall for example you know it does not matter so much who i'm going to study with because a large number of people can teach me how to put bricks so that they are vertical and not too much concrete and keep everything flush and keep the workplace clean it's not really that personal I mean, I'm sure we can argue that wall building can become personal, but it will have to go way beyond piling bricks on top of each other. And I'm not saying anything bad about bricklayers. I'm just saying that the art, if there is an art in bricklaying, comes at the level of the finish, not at the level of making the wall vertical. But when you learn, uh, you know, fine art photography... When you learn how to develop a personal style, when you learn how to develop a color palette, when you learn how to develop a very personal way to express your vision, who you study with is fundamental. And you can't just sign up to a workshop because, you know, they go to that place and they're going to teach you that technique and this technique. You really need to pay attention. Who's teaching the workshop? Who is the instructor? And one of the very best ways to do that is to read their writings. It can be in the books that I wrote because I have now two books out. And, but it can also be the free essays that I have on the internet. It, you know, I have a, a lot of free essays that are available on my site. You can access some of them by signing up for my newsletter. You get them in PDF format. The others, they're available in the essays section of my site. They're also available throughout the internet on luminouslandscape.com, outdoorphotographer.com. I mean, a, a, you know, a wide variety of sites.
1: But also in the library, because I know when I email people, you know, the chapters that I recommend reading, I know a couple of them had told me that they went down to their local library and read those chapters. And
0: they had the book, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there is a number of ways, either by buying the book or by, you know, just looking for free resources, like you said, the local library. <clears throat> but regardless of how you do it it's very very important that you familiarize yourself with how this person teaches how they approach photography what their style is what their take on photography is you know we we certainly you know want to avoid having somebody sign up for a workshop that they're not going to enjoy because they realize they don't like the instructor you know and that's why we have not only all the writings but also these audio presentations, you know, the podcast where we talk about what we do, the video presentations where we actually show, you know, what we do, and also photographs of us.
1: Well, I also think another very important quality that you and I have is that we were both trained as teachers. That's very important. There are a lot of people out there that are teaching workshops that, number one, were not trained as teachers, and number two, they're just tour guides. So they, they don't really have a foundation I mean when you sign up for a workshop and you attend a workshop with us you're getting a syllabus just like you would if you went to a college course
0: yeah I basically teach it as a college course except the course is five days as opposed to you know a semester
1: exactly and you get handouts we have presentations we do print reviews besides you know talking about light and composition and personal
0: style personal style we have lesson plans (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and we reflect on our teaching. That is, after a workshop, we go over what we did and whether it worked or we could improve on it.
1: And it, we also yeah. encourage the participants to do those photography exercises that we teach during the workshop and that we do during the workshop. That it doesn't stop after five days. These exercises are meant for you to do repeatedly on your own.
0: And, and come back to future workshops and continue studying with us because I think another misconception out there is that we're going to sign up for a five-day workshop and we are going to learn photo- fine art photography and we are going to know everything. It doesn't work that way. Even a, a college class, which would be a semester, does not teach you everything about the subject. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's somewhat... You know, it is illusionary to believe that a five-day workshop is going to teach you everything about fine art photography. It's not. But it's going to get you started. And depending on where you are, it's going to help you with whatever it is that you want to work on. And then from there, you need to go and continue your studies. You know, that's where the books come in. That's where, you know, the one-on-one consulting comes in. That's when other workshop comes in.
1: Well, that's also where the tutorial DVDs come in.
0: Exactly. We have multiple ways to teach, you know, what it is that we are teaching because we know for a fact that it is a building block process. Oh, you definitely. Know, each learning uh, venue or opportunity is a block on which you build, and then the learning is the sum of all blocks, you know.
1: Right. Um, well, even when you do the print reviews, you during know, the workshop. During the workshop, I mean, y- we know what the next step is and then the right. next step after that. And the goal is mm-hmm. for them to get to the next step, you know, the, in a logical order.
0: Yeah. And I explain the, to every participant what I think they need to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But also, if you notice that their work is going in a certain direction, I've noticed that you recommend other photographers' work that they look at, that you sometimes Mm -hmm. even recommend books that they read, so that they become an expert of this person's style. Right. Or if it's an art movement, you'll point them in that direction and have them read some resources about that movement.
0: Yeah, that, that's where you know, the teacher's knowledge comes in because it's very difficult for all of us to look at our work and say, oh, it reminds me of the work of. We usually look at our work and think, wow, that's my work. Only somebody that can look at it from the outside you know, and have the knowledge of a wide variety of artists and art movements can say, well, your work really, really looks like the work of such and such. It's going in that direction. And the reason why we do that is because when you start to develop a personal style, when you start learning photography as a fine art, not just as a technique, but as a form of personal expression, it's very common that your work goes towards the work of somebody else. Because there's been other artists out there that have worked very, very hard and pretty much have covered the gamut of possibilities. And so our work as teachers is to present what those other artists are in the context of your work, and then help you go beyond what they've done. Right. The, the goal is not to create something brand new right away. It doesn't work that way. Nobody can. People have been trying for years, but it's the recipe for failure. The goal is to do your best. Have your work reviewed by somebody who is knowledgeable and have that person say what your work is moving towards, what other artists, what other movement your work is moving towards. And then study these other artists, study these art movements and go beyond where they have gone. You know, that's the normal approach. That's the approach I followed throughout the arts. I followed the same approach at the Beaux Arts. There's no difference. It's basically ignorance to think that we can just create something brand new in the privacy of our studio and present it to the world and everybody's going to be like, oh, I've never seen anything like that. What happens if we do that is we're going to have knowledgeable people look at our work and say, oh, well, that reminds me of, but it doesn't quite get there. (laughs) you know and and you don't want that to happen to you because first of all it's depressing and second it doesn't really make people look at you in a positive manner you know it's like well the job is half done this person should have known that their work is going in the direction of such and such and they should have studied their work because they've done this but they missed all of that that this other artist had done (laughs) you know I mean, you, you know, if somebody has worked on a subject for 20 years and, and you start work right now and in one year you get something that's somewhat similar to that person, you're not going to get to what they've done over 20 years. Right. You really have to learn their work. I mean.
1: And the great thing about the print reviews is after they've done a workshop, when they attend the next workshop, when they bring prints from that previous workshop, I'm always excited to see them because we were with them during the workshop, so we know exactly what the conditions were like. Mm. I mean, as far as light and weather and feeling and all sorts of things. And I just notice a huge improvement in their work drastically.
0: Well, the most important print review is usually the second one because the first one is one where, like I explained, we point a direction. The second one, which happens when people come back and take a second workshop, is the one where we can say how well they have gone in that direction, whether they are on the right track or whether they went a little bit off, or whether they went far enough or too far or whatever. It, that's really an evaluation of wha- the recommendations we've done during the first print review.
1: Right.
0: If that doesn't happen, and you know it does happen that people take only one workshop I believe that they lose something because they miss let's say the checkup you know that we can give them if they come back and they show us what they've done it's it's very important you can't just listen to somebody that says okay do that and then go and do it and not get more feedback Right. I mean, how do you know? It's a missed
1: opportunity.
0: Exactly. You miss the opportunity. How are you going to know whether you did well or not so well or or this or that or the other?
1: What was the evaluation?
0: And if you go to somebody else and you say, well, I went to this workshop and you told me to do this and that and I did this and that, what do you think? The person is not me. The person is going to look at it and say, well, you know, um, I don't even think you should have done this and that. They're going to get a totally different ring of the bell. Because there is as many different ways of looking at a photograph as we are, you know, photographers right. and as many ways of teaching this as we are instructors. And once you select an instructor, you really need to stay with that person. Otherwise, you know, the next instructor, you're going to start from scratch. They are going to start basically in their way, which is probably, I would assume, a good way, you know, hopefully, but it's going to be different. And so what we see very often are people that get very confused because they go to three, four workshops and they get three, four different ideas on what we should do. And then they come to us and they say, well, what should you do? And we say, well, I'm giving you a fifth idea. <laughs> because, you know, every instructor is going to basically teach in a different way. And so you ha- that's why it's so important to find an instructor that you like, that whose work you like, whose teaching approach you like, and then stay with them. Otherwise, you're wasting a lot of time. You right. know? I mean, think about doing your studies. And every class that you take, you take with a different instructor. I mean, in your field of study. Eventually, right. that brings confusion. You know?
1: Well, when I was studying at uh, NAU and Flagstaff, Northern Arizona University, when I took my art courses and education courses, but especially my art courses, I didn't take art courses with teachers that I didn't like their artwork. Right. I mean, forget them. It I makes took, sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I didn't want to learn that, or, sure, yeah. or I just didn't, you know, like them.
0: I mean, if you uh, don't like cubism, why would you learn with a cubist, right? I mean, if you like, let's say, impressionism, it makes a whole lot more sense to learn with an impressionist, right? Right. You know.
1: However, I loved your example <laughs> that you said that, you know, Salvador Dali, you know, could probably teach you. Impressionism, you know, even though it's not his.
0: <laughs> it's not his forte. Yeah, his, it's not forte, his yeah, right, right,
1: which is uh, surrealism. Right, However, yeah. he could probably teach you impressionism. Yeah, the only thing you gotta <laughs> keep in mind is that it's gonna be
0: impressionism à la Dali. Yes, <laughs> you know,
1: exactly. It's not
0: gonna be à la Monet or you know. Renoir I just loved like your that.
1: example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, we, uh, we
0: have to be very realistic about art. Art is very different in the sense that the person who teaches, when we are looking at learning art, is fundamentally important. You're not so much going to learn the material as much as you're going to learn that person's approach to this art, to this medium, whether it's fine art photography or painting or sculpture or music, you know. I mean, hell, go go study music with somebody who plays a genre of music that you don't like. Right. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you go study music with very Clapton, you're not going to cl- study classical music. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. You want to go to classical music, you've got to go study with a classical composer. You know? It doesn't matter if you play you know, the guitar or anything. You know? Clapton is not going to teach you, uh, you know, Beethoven uh, you know, guitar compositions in the way that a classical guitarist would teach you it's going to be a Clapton you know that's it it's that simple they've made very s- severe decisions about what they want to say with their art mm-hmm. so have I when people are not familiar with what I do they're always a little shocked you know there was one person yesterday on Facebook that I posted a photograph where I distorted the light ray to bend it you know and so people are asking me how I did that and I tell them what I did in Photoshop and one person said oh I'm disappointed you should have said that in the first place well, no, I don't have to say that in the first place anymore than Dali has to say, okay, by the way, uh, this is a dream state. Okay, I don't want anybody to be confused. This is a dream state. This is not something that I saw. This is a dream state. It becomes very repetitive if you have to say that at every piece that you create. You expect people who come to you to do a mi- minor amount of work and realize what it is that you're doing. <laughs> okay, I d- It's like
1: you have to have a disclaimer each right. time you post a photograph. <laughs> exactly.
0: It's ridiculous. People that follow my work would be like, okay, enough of this. We don't need it more than, you know. So uh, what did I say? I told that person to go read my essay, just say yes, in which I say exactly that I manipulate all of my work and that if people find a piece of my work that's not manipulated, they get a full refund. And that's, that's it, you know. That's my approach. Some other people have a different approach. I'm not going to say it on every piece that I say. It makes no sense. No more than Dali says this is surrealism, this is surrealism, this is well, a realism. Well, as your audience, you know.
1: I would begin to think. Yeah. You know, do you think I'm, I'm a broken record? I'm an idiot, or that I'm not getting the point? Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> we we are talking to an educated audience, exactly. and we are not broken records. Exactly. We don't keep saying the same thing over and over again. Instead, we start to say something new. So this shows the importance of really learning who it is that making the work not just looking at the work and thinking wow that's pretty but thinking why did that person make this pretty photo and why did they do this and why did they do that and what's their take Mm -hmm. all of that is fundamental otherwise you're going to end up in a workshop with somebody that you realize is not the person that you want to be with
1: well i know when i went to nau you know i didn't really appreciate picasso's cubism work so our college professor said you know what we're going to go to Tempe to Arizona State University because they're having a Picasso exhibit down there. You know, I'll drive everybody down there. So I went there. It was the most wonderful exhibit. And I finally understood why Picasso did Cubism, what led to him doing Cubism when I looked at his sketchbooks. It's a totally different because you actually see the thinking process and how Guernica evolved in all of in these paintings.
0: So why did he do cubism? That's a tough question, right?
1: It is, but the what I got from looking at his sketchbooks is that he was doing realism, like portraits of his mother, At 15 years old. And I think if he hadn't evolved. And his artwork hadn't changed. Over the years. That he may have gotten very bored. Or may have even quit art. He may not have found it you know, interesting or exciting anymore if he was still doing what he did at 15 when he did what he did yeah. later on in life.
0: Well, but that's true for every artist. We And I think it's true for many people, whether we are artists or not. We get bored with things that we do all the time. You know, we get bored if we eat the same food for, you know, a month on end i mean you know this is just after thanksgiving i think we all get bored of eating turkey by the end of next week you know (laughs) so it's true that if you look at the perspective of art simply from the artist's life that they get tired of certain things and they start to do other things but that doesn't explain why you do cubism and not you know let's say uh, greek icons for example right You know, because if you're bored with something, the opportunity is there to do anything. Why Cubism, right? And I think, to me, the reason for Cubism's appearance has to do with the war, the Second World War, and definitely the First World War, also, although it was farther away from Picasso. And we have to keep in mind that Spain was heavily hit by the war. Picasso was a Spanish uh, painter. And the fact that the war had created a sort of disjointment in society. And when you look at Cubism, and the fact that it's characterized by looking at things with making things with sharp angles with straight lines as opposed to curves on the one hand but also looking at things from different angles it also represents the fact that after the war we could no longer look at things from a single angle we were sort of constantly rethinking the thing you know is it this is it that right how can something so horrible happen and we don't have one answer you know it's not like okay this is the answer you know we have a multitude of answers and we are looking at things now we're also questioning the cold war you know the suspicion that one thing maybe several things and so one person can be seen from different angles and that is a little bit representative of our mind frame after the war you know that we are no longer looking at things as they are we're suspicious we are questioning we are traumatized also And it makes a lot of sense for somebody to represent things in a very harsh way. Cubism is harsh. If you look at a painting by Manet, you know, not Manet, but Manet, you know, M-A-N-E-T, right? Which are all portraits. They are totally smooth. You know, they are beautifully lit. You know, the curves, the tones, everything is totally blended together. And then you compare that with a Cubist portrait. And here you have splashes of color and you have sharp lines and you have hard edges and you have the same person with two or three noses and four foreheads and five chins, right? And what is really going on? All of the poetry of Manet is gone and what's replacing it is almost something that has the edges of weapons, you know, the edges of tanks, you know, the broken down pieces of uh, things that have exploded in a way, you know. Things have been broken down, things have been damaged and this is the outer And it's the outcome of a very traumatic event in the Western world society, which was the war, turned into art. You know, this is how that war has affected art. And it was very representative when it came out, Cubism came out very shortly after the war, of how the society felt. We weren't happy (laughs) we weren't into romanticism you know this was no longer you know modern art in the sense of art deco or or art nouveau this was something that was the result of a deep trauma in the society Mm -hmm. and we needed to express it in the art it couldn't stay within people's minds it was a disconnection you know how do you explain that part of the population is taken into camps and others are left to live their lives at home as if nothing happened Right? How do you explain that one family is taken out and led into a camp, and the other family next door is allowed to live their life as if nothing happened? That's very traumatic and it's disjointed, de- and it's represented, I think, in cubism. You know, it's making a cubist painting made a whole more sense to artists after the war than making a painting like Manet did, a beautiful portrait with smooth tones and perfect lighting. You know, mm-hmm. it was what people wanted to see you know, in a way. It was representative of people's experience with society. Is it still representative today? No. I think that cubism, as far as I'm personally concerned, is done. It has said what it wanted to say. It has expressed what it had to express. And, you know, so we can suddenly make cubist paintings at infinitum, but the purpose of cubism is over. We live now in a very different society. Right. You know, And of course, if you look at cubism and you ask yourself, is it pretty or not? Do I like it or not? The answer is probably for most people, it is not pretty and I don't like it. And that's exactly what I think cubism is about. It's not about poetry or beauty. It's about a very harsh reality. But
1: even peace. I mean, you don't look at Guernica and have a... Peaceful feeling. Well, Ger- yeah. <laughs> Guernica is
0: not about peace. <laughs> <laughs> Guernica is about war. You know, I mean, why you, you know Guernica is the best, in well-known piece by Picasso. And what is it? It's a it's a battle scene. Mm-hmm. It's it's a battlefield. But now compare Guernica to the battlefield painted by David. You know, of Napoleon's conquest. Napoleon is in a beautiful light on a perfect horse on top of a hill with his little hat. His hand is uh, rubbing he- his stomach. You know, in that
1: pose. You
0: know the. the a classical pose and, and the battle is unfolding on the horizon underneath him. It's idealist, mm-hmm. you know. And then Guernica is, is a scene of chaos, you know, because the Second World War was a war of chaos. To me, cuism is representative of that. And then the rest of modern art, painter that drip paint on the canvas, uh, what's his name again?
1: Jackson Pollock. Jackson
0: Pollock, you know, people are like, it makes no sense. Well, To him, it probably made a whole lot of sense to dream paint on the canvas because he was probably traumatized. And for him, painting a very perfect portrait with beautiful light and smooth curves and focusing on the beauty of the person made no sense at all. After you've seen the horrors of the war and and what it led the world to be and and the changes that it brought and the complete traumatization of the society and the individual, maybe punching a bunch of holes at the bottom of a can of paint and dripping it onto the canvas was the most relieving thing you could do. That's the thing that felt the best. you know. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Most of us could not take a little sable brush and say, okay, I really need to focus on my eyebrow right now. You know, Maybe most of us wanted to drip paint on canvas and have it, which was exactly what Pollock Well, did.
1: I know our yeah. painter friends in Scottsdale, some of their uh, best paintings are coming out now because they don't know if they can pay the gallery rent each month. <laughs> and they <laughs> stop caring. They, they are Arrgh. starting
0: to let go of the filters. They're like, you know, who cares? I oh, wanted to pay- do this. And I have nothing to lose. I either this sells or I go out of business. So let's just roll the dice in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, you, you start to be concerned with how well something is going to sell, and you start to be more concerned with what you want to say. You know, I mean, did Pollock care if his paintings are going to sell? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, there was a million ways that he could have made more money by doing something else. You know,
1: but I'm also watching how their style changes because one of them that used to paint very tight and very detailed is painting her paintings are much more Mm -hmm. loose now you know in fact i found it shocking that they were hers because Mm -hmm. it just wasn't um you know she wasn't known for painting like that and so you know i think the uh, times now Mm -hmm. has put it different um
0: well, I think that traumatic events are conducive to breakthroughs in art. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: is it conducive to happy artists? I don't think so. I, f- I don't think so at all. But I think it's conducive to breakthroughs because it creates a form of inspiration. Right. And it also makes people think, you know, who cares? It's not working anyway. So I might as well do what I want. I may as well you know? paint what I want
1: to yeah. paint. Yeah. yeah. And and
0: that's what we recommend to our students. Listen, I tell them, it's your time, it's your money, it's your efforts, it's your cameras, it's it's everything is yours. If you don't do what you want, I think
1: something's wrong. Yeah, photograph yeah. what matters to yeah. you.
0: And, and do it in the style that you care about. Don't really think twice about people that say, you know, I don't like that. Who cares? If they don't like it, they can go and find an artist whose works they like. Do what you want. Somebody's gonna like it. And those are the people that are your audience. Your audience is not people that don't like what you do. Your audience are people who like what you do. <laughs> you know. And believe me, there are some. Because art is by nature polarized. So, you know, there's always gonna be people that like certain artists and other people that don't like the same artist. And we're all affected by that. We can never have a hundred percent acceptance rate. It's not the nature of art, you know. And it's not the nature of life in general. You know? yeah.
1: <laughs> but, uh, That's I mean, true. Lim- limiting it
0: to I, right? I mean, we could extrapolate, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, we, yeah. Look at Thanksgiving. People have different ideas on the size of the turkey. Oh, yeah. Too big, too small, just right. But that, that is not the same for everybody, no. you, know? <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so something as simple as that is already subject to interpretation. So we can only guess how bad it is without, you know, it's it's extreme. So all of this to say how important it is to study with the right person for you. And obviously, the way to find out who that person is, is to look at their work, listen to what they say, read their writing, you know, look at who is talking, you know, find photographs. I'm always frustrated when I go to a website and I don't see photographs of the artist. I'm like, how... Would you like to go to a store right, and buy something from a salesperson that has a plastic bag over his head with two holes in it because they don't want you to see who they are? I mean, I'd be like, listen, buddy, I'm going to buy this under one condition. Take that bag off your head. <laughs> I want to see who you are. I mean, we want to buy from people that we like. We want to buy from people that we know who they are. You know, We, we don't want to buy from Mr. Anonymous, you know or Mrs. anonymous, right? And so find out who they are and and make a decision. And and, uh, I think you'll find out that it will be a much more rewarding experience.
1: Oh, I think so. Because I think when you study with somebody whose work and philosophy and teaching that you like, you're going to gain so much more from learning from them. And also you're going to be inspired. You're going to be relaxed because you're in a comfortable environment with Mm -hmm. them. You know, because you have right. them there with you, and I think it's going to help you with your photography or painting. It doesn't matter what type of artwork you do. I think it's just going to help you be more creative. You know what we call get in the groove. You're and, relaxed. You yeah, know. you're relaxed. You have to like the
0: teacher, and the teacher has to like you. Right. You know that's also important. You know, send them some of your photos and see what they say. They respond saying, "Ay, ay, ay. That's not good. That's a disaster. That's horrible. It sucks." Let it go, <laughs> you know.
1: Well, on the uh, one of the workshops last year at Antelope Canyon, I remember one gentleman was saying how much he manipulated his work. And, you know, he was talking about his prints before he showed everybody. However, when he showed them, they were like, you know, just realism or documentary yeah. photography. And I, I couldn't understand what he was saying because he was talking about how mm. he manipulated right, right. the images and did all sorts of things. But the pictures that he showed had none of what he was saying. Yeah. So I was totally confused. Yeah. You know?
0: And I think I asked him and he said that that he did not want to bring the ones that manipulated because he had been told bad things before, right?
1: From other people or other instructors or, you know, but... um, So he
0: was traumatized.
1: Yeah, but the yeah. thing that was shocking was is that yeah, you uh, should have
0: brought the manipulated one. You should have brought the, the, the
1: manipulated yeah. ones because yeah. he was in the right workshop.
0: <laughs> yeah, we.
1: <laughs> However, uh, he showed us the wrong photos. <laughs> yeah, full
0: disclaimer. We like manipulated photos here. Yes. Manipulated photos welcome here. You know. <laughs> but you know, he is the perfect example of somebody that needs to come back with his manipulated work so that we can actually look at it and make an informed comment on it, and and talk about the things that matter to him. Right. As opposed to talking with things that don't matter to him, that he thinks he has to show because that's what he was told. He, he had the wrong instructor, you know. I can't emphasize enough how important the instructor is in learning a fine art, not in learning a technique. We're not learning how to do something which is mundane here.
1: And well, and the other shocking thing was is that your comments on the work, like he even said, wasn't really helping him because he didn't really care about that work. Right. The work that he really cared yeah, about, he left it at home that was all manipulated. And <laughs> but so all I had was in front of me. I know. <laughs> but know. what I'm saying is, is we, we couldn't really help him.
0: Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a very confusing situation for all of us. He does not hear the comments that he wants to hear, but he's not showing the work that he wants to show. And I'm not seeing the work that I would like to see. So, you know, what can we do? You know, and like I said, the only solution is come back and bring more work of the kind that you care.
1: Yeah, or just scheduling a just one-hour print review over the phone or something, you know.
0: I mean, the opportunities are there, you know, and you have to make a wise choice. But, you know, all of that to say how important it is to find that person that will really be helpful to you. You know, now with the internet, we have so many ways of providing information that it's, if you do the work, you know, if you spend some time reading and listening and, Studying their material, the answer is, is there, there's no doubt. Suddenly, you know, we are very interested in having people that want to be with us. We're not interested in having people that come to us and say, oh my God, you're the wrong person for me, you know. We, we want everyone to make their decision ahead of time and that's why we provide so much information and so much material because, you know, the challenge for us is not to fill up the workshop. The challenge is to find students that we can really help. And, you know, if that other student had called us and said, well, do you like manipulated photographs or not? We would have said, we love manipulated photographs, you know, please bring them up. But he didn't, you know, and of course, how can we know? So communication is also very important, I think.
1: Oh, it's very uh, important. And I always, you know, encourage people to call or email. I mean, that's why I have 800 number. Uh, If you have any questions or concerns, just call, just email. Yeah, Um.
0: it's very important to communicate because, you know, we try our best to answer every possible question, but everybody's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we probably and suddenly cannot answer everybody's concerns, you know, uh, on the website. And so if something is not covered, you know, absolutely call us. So this will basically wrap it up for this uh, little podcast on uh, studying photography. And uh, the next podcast, we don't yet know what it's going to be about. But it will be about something. (laughs) That we know, right? (laughs) So stay in touch and uh, do some great work. And uh, give us a call or email if you have any questions about what we do. And we thank you again for listening.